If you have your Bibles, please go to Matthew uh, chapter 21. You should have a Bible right in front of you. And if not, you, uh, we're going to have the scriptures on the screens. Take a little sip of water while you're looking for your scripture. Try to recover from all those, um, those announcements. All right. Matthew chapter 21, it says this, starting in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. This was the prophet Zechariah. Say to daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So we're on a series called Jesus Wins. And we've been talking about different uh, key moments in the life of Jesus, specifically in the passion uh, portion of the life of Jesus. And we started this um, sermon series uh, with Gethsemane, and then we talked about Peter and Ju Judas. Today we're going to talk about the triumphal entry, and then next Sunday we're going to talk about the resurrection. So today we're going to talk about this, this moment when Jesus comes into to Jerusalem. And you may say, well, well, why is this important to us? Like, why, like we've heard this story, but, but why is that relevant to us today? Like, it's, it's a great story to remember, but how does that apply to my Christian life in my day today? So I want to start off with this. Um, I grew up as a missionary in Chile. Some of you guys know that. And I'm going to share something that kind of may seem strange to you, but I grew up learning two languages at the same time. So I have two first languages because I, I learned English and Spanish when we moved to Chile when I was 11 months old. So I have, I have two first languages. And you may think, well, that's kind of cool. He speaks fluently both languages. And it is cool, but it's also not cool. And here's why. Because language can be very confusing to me. Because sometimes I'll be talking to someone in Spanish, and I want to say to that person something that is better explained in English, and so I'll make the dumb mistake of just translating directly, and then what I'll say doesn't make any sense to that person. And I'll do it, the, I'll do it both ways. And I've always been pretty insecure about, about my language and about the things that, that I say, because sometimes people will be a little bit confused when I, when I speak, in fact, I remember when I was, I was younger, uh, in our house, we had, we had four missionaries that were visiting in Chile. American missionaries were at our house. There was four of them. And my mom says, hey, can you go in and offer them some coffee? And so I go in and I say, hey, is, does anybody want coffee? And, and there was four of them. And two of them said, I wouldn't mind some. And then the other two said, I don't care for any. I walk back to my mom and she's like, so who's going to have coffee? I'm like, honestly, I don't know. Like, I literally don't know what they just said because it was, to me, it was like nobody wants coffee or everyone wants coffee. You know, I wouldn't mind some, I wouldn't care for any. Like, I don't know what that means. And so 
The reason why I'm sharing that is because language has always been a little bit of a, of a confusing thing to me. I had someone say this was a few years back. He says, you really got your work cut out for you. And I'm like, does that mean it's going to be great? Or does that mean it's going to be hard? Like, I honestly didn't know. You know, I got an email a few uh, uh, weeks ago, or a few months ago, someone, we were talking about something, and I got this email, and this person ended this email by saying, I have heard many pastors preach, and you, sir, are second to none. And I'm like, man, that was cold, <laughs> until I realized that it was actually a compliment. Some of you guys are still thinking, oh, that was a compliment? It was. It really was. You know, because language can be, can be confusing. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and you just kind of, you think you know what that word means and then you just risk it and you kind of throw it out there to see what happens? Like, oh man, that was abysmal. You just kind of wait and see what happens. I think that's, I think I used it right. I'm not sure, right? We'll see what happens, you know. You see, language can be can be very, very confusing. And, and I think that in church, the same thing can be true. I mean, we have, we have church lingo, right? Things that we talk about in church where if you're in church for the first time, you're going to find incredibly confusing. Things that for us are maybe normal, uh, for someone that comes to church for the first time, they're not going to know what we're talking about. Did you have your quiet time? Huh, I wonder what that means. I'm being sanctified. Sanctified, never heard that word before, right? I hear that Jeremy has been backsliding backsliding, did he fall, right? So there were things like that, or we're going to pray for travel mercies, or have you been washed in the blood of the lamb? I'm like, that sounds terrible. I don't think I want to do that, you know? What kind of rituals do you do at your church? And so sometimes even us as Christians, we will use words that we don't even fully understand. And we'll sing songs sometimes with, with the words, and we're like, okay, that sounds good. I don't know what I'm singing, but it's kind of cool, right? And so the reason why I bring all that up about language is because there are certain words that may seem confusing to us, like sanctification, Yahweh, you know, cast your crowns before the Lord. It's like, okay, not sure what that is. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about one of those words, one of those words that we sing sometimes, and that word is Hosanna. It's the word Hosanna, and I love this word. In fact, somebody reminded me that I actually defined this word last year, so I'm going to trust on your bad memory, that you don't remember what the definition is, and also that you won't think that I'm just recycling my messages. So this is a great, this, it's a song that I used to always sing to my daughter Amy when, when, when she was little. Hosanna, don't worry, I'm not going to break into song all of a sudden. But I used to always sing her, this song to her. Um, and the reason why I want to talk about the word Hosanna is because, is because today we're celebrating Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is, is the moment where Jesus walks in to Jerusalem. And so I want to answer a few questions today. One is, one is, what does that mean specifically, that Jesus entered into Jerusalem? Number two, why is that important? And number three, how does that relate to us? Because maybe you've been celebrating this and you, you've, been, you've been remembering it every year um, but you're not sure why. So number one, I want to tell you why this is important for the Israelites. Why was it important for the Israelites? And I also want to explain to you why this is important to us, why this is an, a crucial mo moment for us. You see, this was a, a big deal for the Israelites. It was a big deal. And, and the reason why this was a big deal to the Israelites is because all of the history of Israel was sort of building up to, to Passion Week. 
And this was the first part of, of the Passion Week where everything that the Israelites had been preparing their hearts for through the prophets, all through the scriptures into this present moment was this moment when the Savior would come to rescue Israel. This entry meant hope for Israel who had been subject to, to tyranny from, from Rome. It also meant the fulfillment of all these, these prophecies. So, in a way for them, this was kind of like a new and improved, improved version of, of King David. Like King David was, was, was coming in, but this was a better, a better version of, of him. And this, this king would come and bring them back to the golden era of David and Solomon. So the Israelites were excited because they were thinking, this guy is going to bring us power. He's going to bring us glory. He's going to bring us influence. He's going to bring us prestige. And he's going to put all of our enemies under our feet. That's why they were so, so happy. And they kept yelling, Hosanna, 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 Hosanna. And the highest, what does Hosanna mean? They were saying, save us, please save us, rescue us. They were screaming out to, to Jesus, rescue us. Rescue us, right? Rescue us from what? Well, the answer to them was obvious, from Roman rule. Rescue us from Roman rule. Why the palm branches? Well, the palm branches were, were representing victory. They were representing triumph. They were assuming we won. We want, like Jesus walks in, and this is, this is our victory. He's coming in to save us, and he's going to fulfill all of the things that we have always hoped for. Why was this big celebration taking place? And here comes the son of David who will free us from Rome and bring us back to our former glory. So we need to put ourselves in the Israelites' sandals, right? Like, let's picture what they were going through in that moment. Finally, the new king, of, the new king David. We're going to get the respect we deserve, and all the, the promise that was given to Abraham is going to be fulfilled in our lifetime. That's what everyone thought. So it's what everyone hoped for. This is how they saw the fulfillment of the prophecies. But here's the thing. As the weeks begin to unfold, their hopes progressively begin to die. And it starts right from the beginning, right at the entry. Some people would have noticed something that most didn't notice, and it was the fact that Jesus came in riding on a donkey. Why was this significant? Because if he came in riding on a horse, this is war language, on a horse, that means he comes to conquer. Riding in on a donkey means peace. I don't, I don't come for war. I don't come for con conquering. Some people would have noticed that right from the beginning. That wasn't just, just random. They wanted a warrior like King David. And, and you realize that as the week unfolds, which starts today, the week unfolds, Judas betrays Jesus. The disciples abandon him. Jesus is before Pilate. The soldiers mock Jesus. They free Barabbas. Jesus is tortured. He gets the, the crown of thorns, and finally he's nailed to a cross. And the people were not happy. To the point that in a span of one week, the same people, some of the same people who were, who were shouting Hosanna at the entry were the same ones that were shouting crucify him at the end. I can imagine that there were some stragglers at the end, even when Jesus was on the cross. They're like, oh, do you just wait? 
I know you see him on the cross now, but I've seen all these miracles. I know what he's going to do. He's going to come down from the cross, and he's going to show everyone who is in charge. You just wait. And then Jesus breathes his last. And then he's buried in the tomb. What happened? What, like, what? Wait, what? This is not what we were expecting. It seemed to them that Jesus had simply failed them. And honestly, I don't, I don't blame them for thinking the way that they thought. You know, because for us, it's easy to look back and understand what Jesus meant, right? I mean, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. Like, okay, yeah, I, like we know what that means. But the disciples, the people that were following Jesus, that were hearing his teaching, it was, they didn't know what it was. They took everything literally, Right? And let's just face it, I mean, Jesus didn't exactly unpack everything specifically what he meant when he talked about the kingdom of God. He's like, oh, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Oh, the kingdom of heaven is like a lost coin. Oh, a kingdom of heaven is like my lost son. They're like, okay, those are great stories, but you would always find them at the end scratching their head. Like, okay, that's interesting. I don't know what it means. So we look back in retrospect, and we know exactly what he means by the kingdom of heaven. But for them... It was simply a false promise. It was a promise that he did not fulfill for them. It felt like a false promise. Where is the king? Where is the kingdom? Where is the power? Where is the influence? Where is our recognition? Where is the retaliation to our enemies? Where is the vindication that we deserve? It felt to Israel like it was just an unkept promise. For the followers of Jesus, they thought this, Jesus was supposed to be a political leader that would overthrow Rome and bring us back to our glory years, and it didn't happen. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that in your life? Have you ever felt like Jesus did not come through for you like you expected him to come through? You're not alone. My wife and I, we were just uh, remembering my brother-in-law, he died when he was 34, he died of cancer. I think I've shared this before. He died of cancer at 34, he was diagnosed with cancer. Ten days later, he was gone. It was in the early 2000s, and I remember we did everything, everything that we could think of. We prayed for him, we did a vigil, we fasted, like we did everything. In fact, we even had people that would come up to us and say, hey, I have, I have a word from God, he's going he's gonna to heal He's going to heal your brother-in-law. And we're like, we're going to hold on to that promise, right? Ten days later, he's gone. We're at his, at his funeral. And honestly, the way that it felt, it felt like an unkept promise. Like, wait a minute, he wasn't supposed to die that young. Like, no, no, this is not how it's supposed to happen. It felt like Jesus hadn't come through for us. This is what the Israelites were going through. And this is what I believe some of you here are going through right now. And just to be clear, I want to I explain what I mean by this. I'm not talking about that thing in your life that you're like, ah, it's taking longer than I thought, but we're just going to keep praying and we're going to keep believing because maybe Jesus will do it. I'm not talking about that. There's areas in your life that, yes, they require more prayer. They require more faith, and maybe Jesus will come through and he will do that. That, that is possible. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the things in your life that you know for sure God said no to. And you're like, when his answer is like final, like that person is dead. That marriage ended. 
He never healed that person. You had to file for bankruptcy. Your dream did not come true. That's what I'm talking about. Those things in your life that you look back at and that thing is dead. That's how the Israelites felt in that moment. This was so final for them, which made everything incredibly confusing. And maybe that's you today. You don't understand. Why did he have to die? Why did my marriage have to end in divorce? Why did my dream never happen? Why did I have to file for, for bankruptcy? Where's the promise that you made, Lord God? Where is it? This was so final. From their perspective of the Israelites, this promise never happened. This promise just never happened. Okay. But what they didn't know was that Jesus was about to surpass their expectations beyond what they could even ask or imagine. I call this different but better. It's different, but it's better. It's not what you thought, but it's better. You see, it was different because Jesus didn't free them from Rome like they expected. But it was better because he freed them from the consequences of sin forever. You see, it was different because Jesus didn't give them a prosperous life like they were expected. But it was better because he gave them eternal life. You see, it was different because he didn't destroy their enemies like they were expecting. But it was better because he crushed the enemy, Satan, and his power once and for all. You see, it was different, but it was better. But in that moment, they missed it. Like, you and I can miss it right now. You see, you may be here this morning, and you need to be saved you need to be saved. But the concept of salvation that you have is small. It's a, it's a reduced version of the reason why Jesus actually came. And in your heart, you're screaming, Hosanna, 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 save me, save me, save me. And what, what your desire is, is for God to save you from a terrible boss. Or you want God to save you from a toxic relationship. Or you want God to save you from a financial distress or a physical illness or, or depression and you're screaming, Hosanna. And hey, I'll pray with you for that. I will pray that God will give you the thing you're praying for. That your business will go well. That the person that you're praying for will be healed. That your dreams will come true. I will pray with you through all of those things. And he may give it to you. He may give it to you. But that's not why we should be shouting Hosanna. That's not why we should be shouting, save us, save us. Because that is not why he walked into Jerusalem, and that is not why he walked into your life. He came in not to save you in a better job, etc., etc. He came into your life to save you from the curse of sin. He came to give you something perhaps different, but better. In the same way that he didn't come to save Israel from Rome, per se, but to establish the eternal kingdom of heaven. In the same way he didn't come into your life to give you a life, to give you a life upgrade. He didn't come into your life to give you a life, a life upgrade. He didn't come there. Come into your life to do that. He came to give you eternal life. He didn't come to give you 
He didn't come to save you from your current problem, but to save you from the curse of sin. This is why he walked into Jerusalem, and that's why he walked into your life. That's what Hosanna means. It means save us. And this salvation is available to everyone. To everyone. So I want to close with this. Um, Romans 10, 13, I don't think we have that scripture, but it says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to propose to you this morning that you need to refocus your Hosanna. You need, to ref- you, need to, you need to open up your Hosanna a little bit more. You need to open up your concept of what you need to be saved from. Some of you here have been praying a Hosanna that is too small. It's too small. Just like the Israelites praying to be saved from Rome, you're praying to be saved from things which you can be saved from. You, you may be saved from those things. But the main thing is the deliverance from the power and the effects of sin. So here's Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4 says this. Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I think there may be some people here that never have made Jesus the Lord of their lives. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. Um, We're having baptisms next Sunday. This is not a a promo for baptisms, but we have a few baptisms next next Sunday, which is going to be a really cool moment. But baptism, I've I've explained it like this before. It's like, there's there's a parallel between baptism and marriage. See, marriage is when you uh, officially... Before everyone, before God, start your, your romantic relationship. That's what marriage is. It's the biblical way of starting a romantic relationship. So you make it public and you have an event. Um, the first part of a relationship, you know, you're kind of dating, you're getting to know each other, but then there comes a moment like, you know what, I'm going to tie the knot. Like, this is serious, and I want to do it before God and before man. So same thing happens with church. Like, some of you guys have been dating Jesus for a while, and it's time for you guys to tie the knot. You've been coming to church, you know who Jesus is, you think he's great, you believe all the things that you need to believe, but you're like, ah, you know what? I don't know. Like, have you seen those, like, the people who are dating for, like, 10 years? It's like, dude, get married. Come on, man. I think that may be some of you with church as well. This is not to shame you or anything like that, but I think that for some of you, it is time to tie the knot. So what I want to do now is I want to, uh, we can just close our eyes and bow our heads um, I want to I give you an opportunity this morning to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And all I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, you're just going to raise your hand or you're going to put it right back down. But here's what's going to happen next. I want to ask you to raise your hand and put it right back down when I count to three. And then what you're going to do is you're going to take one of those cards in front of you. It's going to write your name and you're going to write a phone number on there. And I'm gonna, I'll contact you. And that doesn't mean you have to be baptized. This is not a commitment to baptism right away. But I'll make contact with you, and we'll see where you are in your relationship with God and if you're ready or you're not. And so if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life this morning, I'm going to count to three. You're going to raise your hand, put it right back down. One, two, three, raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. 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 I lost count. That's beautiful. All right, Lord God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you because you have made salvation available to all. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord, for these hands that were raised. 
I pray that as they take their next step in their relationship with you, that their salvation will be so much bigger than the small salvations that we sometimes have in our minds that have to do with this world, with things that have expiration dates on them. Thank you, God, because you walked into Jerusalem to save everyone from the curse of sin, not just for them, but for the whole world, and that is true for us as well. And so I thank you because you allow for us to put our faith in that, and as a result of that step of faith, you make that salvation available to us. So we thank you so much, especially for those who raised their hand this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.